even just to see just a few of you, it's just so awesome. It's so great to see you, and we're so glad that you're joining online wherever you are in the Philadelphia metro area. We obviously want to give a shout out to those of you who are joining us around the country. And as always, well, you're, in a, you're, you're never far from our hearts and prayers. Those of you who are mission partners, uh, partners all across the world from Cambodia to Haiti to, to India to Panama. We love you. We're thinking about you. We're praying for you. I want to start out today by showing you a picture. Uh, uh, I thought this was pretty funny. This sort of captured the whole spirit of how people feel about what's going on in 2020. Uh, look at this meme right here. Adam Sandler is the official look of 2020, right? So that's obviously the way Adam looks all the time. But that's how we feel, right? We're, I can't tell you how many Zoom calls I've showed up to in shorts, unshowered. And, and, and the problem is, is that we all know that, that, even forget the pandemic for a second, that when we try to get our lives and we try to make them better, what we do is we come up with a routine. We say, I'm going to get up at this time. I'm going to do this at this time. And then what we'll do is we'll be consistent, whether it's eating or exercise or whatever the priority is, but then something happens, right? Something interrupts it. And whenever there's a disruption to the system, to the habits that we've created, then we can possibly go into free fall. Well, this is the greatest disruption any, any one of us has ever experienced in our entire lives. And so there's sort of this free fall that we're in. And so relationships, addictions, marriages, like their the families, the, the overall weight is just crushing people. And so one of the things I wanted to do today, I just wanted to, this is just a quick one-off um, sermon to get us ready for next week. I want to encourage you to do something a friend told me a long time ago. Um, I want you to pull out the book of Proverbs. And if you're feeling disruption in your life, if you're feeling like hey, I'm trying to get some semblance of my life going back again. Um, I want you to read one chapter of the book of Proverbs a day, every day for 31 days. And that does the trick. It, what it does is it recalibrates your mind and your heart and your system. One full month of soaking in wisdom. Now, this is why I love the book of Proverbs. One reason is it's so practical, um, verse one, the very first verse of the book of Proverbs says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom. And that word wisdom comes from the Hebrew word chokmah. And chokmah is the, meant literally a garden tool. Metaphorically, it was a tool for life. But it was literally a garden tool, but it was also a tool of how to make your life better. And so when we are reading the book of Proverbs, what we're doing is we're going back to the original source, the manual, on how to make our lives work. And we're just letting that wisdom, these tools, every single day, one after another, seep into our minds and our hearts. Now, the other reason I love the book of Proverbs is it's honest in your face wisdom. Uh, how many of you have friends that uh, will tell you what you want to hear, right? And if you have good friends, you don't have any of those people. But inevitably, we'll have someone in our lives that will honestly, will compliment us and tell us what we want to hear. The book of Proverbs is not like that. The book of Proverbs is like a guy I follow on Instagram. His name is Jocko Willink. 
And I would encourage you, just look up Jocko on, on Instagram. And Jocko Willink is a, is a former Navy SEAL. And what he does is every single Monday, he gives like this 30-second pep talk. You know, and here he is, it's 3.30 in the morning, he's covered with sweat, and you have a problem, and you don't want to get up and work out today, and he's just screaming at you. And at the very end, he's like, go get some, right? And the book of Proverbs is like that. It doesn't allow you to make excuses. That there is too much to be done, you are too valuable, God has a purpose for your life, and if you feel some disruption that has come to your life, let's catch it, let's recalibrate, and let's get going. That's what the book of Proverbs does. Now, um, I want you to notice, it's so, imp- so incredibly practical. Proverbs twenty nine twenty. do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than them. In other words, hey, bite your tongue, slow down. Here's another one, Proverbs 29, 5. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading Nets for their feet. Don't become a person that flatters. Guys, for those of you who are married, you're going to want to hear this one. Proverbs 21.9. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Right? So you're, you're, in, you're, you're getting criticized this week, right? In the middle of it, just turn around and say, hold it, woman. Proverbs 21.9. It'll stop it right there. Now, The the interesting thing is there's way more that the book of Proverbs says about husbands being respectful than than wives. But the ironic thing is that one of the key things that keeps coming up over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs is choosing friends wisely. Like you would think that, you know, if if I'm going to get my life together after it's been disrupted, you know, what am I focusing? I'm focused on exercise and routines and discipline and that sort of thing. The book of Proverbs is like, no, you don't get it. Choosing your friends actually we ha- will have a greater positive or negative effect than anything else that you do. So I want you to think for a second. Uh, those of you who are here and those of you who are online, um, who are the five closest people to you? Your five closest friends. Just think of their names right now. Who do you spend time with more than anyone else? Now, the challenge that the book of Proverbs gives us when it comes to our friends is that many of the people that we call friends as Americans or wherever you are around the world, it's a challenge to our understanding of what a a friend is. And so I came up with what I call four pseudo-friends. That of the five people that you listed, how many of the people that you listed fall in one of these four categories? One is best friends from childhood. My uh, daughters will ask me on occasion, who's your best friend? And I said, it's easy, it's Darren. And then they'll ask me, when was the last time you talked to Darren? I'm like, ah, you know, maybe, I don't know, a year ago, maybe maybe six months ago. And Darren was my best friend from childhood. We all have these people, right, that that um, we've known forever, and we can pick up the phone and we're off to the races. We don't have to go and rebuild connection or whatever. Call, text, anytime. And Darren is that for me. And uh, he's an incredibly close friend, but the book of Proverbs will call that a pseudo friend. Like, not that he isn't a friend, obviously, but he wouldn't be what the book of Proverbs would call a, a present friend. 
Someone that is right there in my life now. Here's another one. Affinity friends. Affinity friends are, are friends that are based on things that we do together, right? Basketball, golfing partners, uh, going to the gym, working out, that sort of thing. And they actually may be friends. But the question is, is that if you remove that activity that brings you together, will you remain friends? Like for a better part of a decade, we were very close to, uh, f- to people that, were, that we shared sports with with our kids. Being on soccer sidelines and being on lacrosse sidelines and basketball sidelines and, and all of the trainings. I mean, you get close. You start sharing rides and cell phone numbers and sleepover. I mean, it's just a whole thing. For the better part of a decade, we had all of these people that were really close to. And what do you think happened when the sports were over? Like, it's, it's rare that we get to see these people now. Right? The, the affinity is the thing that kept us together. Third would be work friends. Most of us spend half of our lives at work, so it's really easy if we're going to build friends to sort of pick from the people that we're working with all the time. But again, it begs the question that when you're not at work, are you spending time with these people? If not, then yeah, you're friendly with them, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be with what the uh, book of Proverbs calls like friends at a heart level. Now you could be, you absolutely could be friends with someone at work, but the vast majority of times it's more than likely it's a pseudo friendship. And the last one that I would call a pseudo friendship is I'm friends with my children. Now we're all friends with our children, right? Um, the problem is, when it comes to friends, your kids need you to find the emotional support and connection with people other than them. If all you do is you take the easy route because you're going to spend time with your kids, and obviously you love them and you enjoy their company, But if you transfix that into a relationship where you are depending upon your children to meet your emotional needs, that's a pseudo friendship and it hurts them. And what it is, is it's a shortcut for you. Rather than you doing the hard work of finding peers that are your friends, you're substituting hard work for expediency and you're turning your kids into something that they were never meant to be. Um, Proverbs 12, 26 tells us the righteous choose their friends carefully. They think about it. And so as you've heard me talk about these pseudo friends, is God challenging you in some respect? Is it time to basically use this disruption that has come into our lives as an opportunity to go out and look for a new opportunity to connect with people? I love what G.K. Chesterton uh, was a 19th century author, and he was asked by a columnist one time, he said, what is meant by the fall? And the fall is, theologians talk about when Adam and Eve sinned and basically screwed up the world. They asked G.K. Chesterton to sort of give, a, give a, a, an essay and submit it to the newspaper, what is meant by the fall? 
And they were expecting G.K. Chesterton to turn in this like 4,000 word article that the newspaper could print on multiple pages. And the letter that he wrote back actually said is, what is meant by the fall? What is meant by the fall? I could answer with complete sincerity that whatever I am, I am not myself. And that was all he said. That this brokenness that we experience growing up in this world without Christ, when we become Christians, he begins to redeem us And we begin to say, you know what? We're not going to settle for pseudo friendships anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to begin to live out the kinds of friendships that happen when God is now living in our hearts and we're going to seek real community. I am not myself. So what I don't want to do is I don't want to follow the world's pattern of settling or uh, choosing friendships. What I want to do is I want to choose friendships based on what God wants me to do. So that said, my challenge to you today is this. Develop new friendships with devout Christians who will challenge you. Of the five friendships that you listed there, which one is, has greater spiritual maturity than you? That person is building into you. Which one actually may be a few steps behind you in terms of spiritual maturity? What do these friends look like and how do they affect you? Um, When it comes to friendship, the the book of Proverbs tells us two things need to happen. Number one is time. You need to spend time with these people. And that's one thing that we say right now we don't have, but we actually do. We actually have more time now to develop friendships than at any other time in the last five years. We have the time to do this. Now, it may look different, but we have the time. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffer harm. Walking is a metaphor for spending time with people. And so we have to make a commitment that we're gonna spend time with them. And then second, we have to share our heart. I want you to notice this verse. It says, Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. In the original Hebrew, they didn't have punctuation, like they didn't have exclamation points or commas, and they didn't even have vowels. And so what the ancient Hebrews did is they they took the most important thing and they put it, they front-loaded it to the beginning of the sentence. And so what Hebrews is saying is, listen, above all else, like above everything, whatever you do, You need to guard your heart because out of that flows the rest of your life. And what the Proverbs writer is saying is that not don't let anybody in, but you need to let the right people in. If you don't let anybody in, your heart's going to begin to shrink. You're going to become less of the person that God intends you to be. be. Um, And if you let everybody in, you're not going to have any boundaries. And so my question is, who are the friends that know the true condition of your soul right now? Who are the friends that know the sins that you're wrestling with right now? The temptations that you're facing right now? The struggles that you have? The the, um, questions that you have in the mind? The way that you second guess yourself? We need people like this that know us. That care for us. And that are willing to love us in spite of all of our imperfections and sins and inconsistencies. 
That's what discipleship looks like. Discipleship is not a solo activity that a person can accomplish on their own. Discipleship, becoming like Jesus, cannot happen apart from relationships that you have with people. Now, um, uh, one of this, this dates me a little bit, but in terms of Christian music, there was a singer uh, back in the 80s uh, called Michael Card. Michael Card was a big deal back in the 80s when there were like five Christian bands and all of them were terrible. But Michael Card was a, was a fantastic, thoughtful uh, Christian artist and author and singer. And he happened to develop a friendship with a New Testament scholar by the name of William Lane. And William Lane was a professor at Western Kentucky University where Michael Card was a student. They hit it off, they developed a friendship and they continued the friendship through the years. William called up Michael at one point late in his life and said, hey, I wanted to let you know, I'm gonna move to where you live. And Michael was like, well, that's great. Why, why are you doing that? And Professor Lane said, it's because I have terminal cancer. And I wanted to show you, and this is the quote, I wanted to come and live with you because I want to show you what it looks like for a Christian man to die. Do you have someone like that? Soul to soul, living deeply together. Time, heart. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Walk with the wise and become wise. Living with a band of brothers and sisters who care more about helping us become holy than helping us become happy is the key to making life work. Now, let me give you an example of this. Uh, when we first moved to this area, one of the things that Lisa and I have a heart for are relationships. They're so difficult. The first three years of our marriage were so incredibly painful, uh, primarily because of Lisa. She's a terrible, ter I'm just kidding. Um, because of me, I was selfish and immature, and, and we were just kids. Gosh, she was 20 and I was 21. And you put two strong-willed people in a relationship where, gosh, you take my immaturity, it, it was bad. And so the first three years were painful. The next seven years got better. But when we moved here, we had a good marriage. And, but we thought, hey, if there's any way we can help people that are in relationships that are difficult, we want to do that. And so uh, another couple on staff and Lisa and I went and got trained to lead a class called Dynamic Marriage. We led this class. And the thing is, you don't teach anything. You just facilitate the discussion. And I remember going out to breakfast the next week after our third class. And a guy said right at the beginning of breakfast, who's in the class with us, he was like, I got to be honest, I thought this whole thing was just sort of like surface level charade kind of thing. And then when your wife on Sunday night stood up and was bawling because of the hurtful things that you said to her, which I shared that night, the reason she's crying is because I said some hurtful things to her. I thought, this is actually real. And over that nine weeks together, as, as, a, as a room full of 12 couples, we became brothers and sisters. Like, it, we, we really transformed. Some of our best friendships in the church have come from that experience. In fact, uh, one of the couples in that class, John and Lee and Stolpe, became good friends of ours. And they went, uh, they went and got trained to lead dynamic marriage. And then they led 
a number of classes. One of the couples that was in their classes by the name of Dean and Terry DiVenzio, we asked them to share what this class has meant to them. Being among people that can share their heart, to be real and authentic and to do it in a non-judgmental atmosphere. Listen to what they said. Dean and Terry said, we asked before enrolling in the dynamic marriage class, we were not Uh, We were not what we would be described as a desperately unhappy couple. We were just kind of lost. When things were going well, we enjoyed each other's company and we were content. However, we had lost our ability to communicate and avoided conflict as much as possible. Discussions ultimately led to hurt feelings and angry outbursts. We went into every discussion assuming the worst of each other. We struggled to resolve issues, which resulted in resentment. We heard Brian speak about his and Lisa's experience with the dynamic marriage class. And we realized that our relationship was not as good as it could have been and that it needed help. The class has unquestionably changed our lives. This class and the facilitators taught us to number one, listen to each other and learn what was truly in each other's hearts. That's that proverb. It gave us each a fresh perspective on each other's needs. Not only identify each other's most important needs, but also how to meet those needs in a loving, selfless way. Have respectful discussions without negative emotions and resentments. And finally, to pray together. This was something we had never done together and has become one of the most intimate parts of our relationship. When we completed that last class, we left with a marriage that was stronger, more loving, respectful, and spiritual, completely beyond anything we ever could have imagined. And finally, we believe it has impacted our children's lives as well. They are now seeing what a loving relationship can truly be, and hopefully they will strive for the same in their relationships. Isn't that incredible? I love that. You want to know what we know about COVID? COVID is destroying marriages. Divorces are skyrocketing. Separations are skyrocketing. You need to invest now, like particularly when it comes to that. Like we have a a dynamic marriage class starting on September 21st. We have uh, just a few spots left. And if you want to be a part of that marriage, you need to sign up right now. Go to ccvlive.com forward slash dynamic marriage. We would love for you to be a part of that. It will change your life. But the bigger thing is the issue that we're facing as a church is not reopening. The issue that we're facing as a church truly when it comes down to it, that this pandemic has revealed, our biggest challenge is not reopening the church, but getting everyone in our church community to have a band of brothers and sisters. That's why when those of you who sign up uh, tomorrow morning uh, to come next Sunday, you're going to be met by a group's tent outside. And what we want to do is we want to figure out a way to help you do that. Our job as staff is to help facilitate these opportunities and relationships, these classes, these groups, these opportunities for you to take these steps to move away from pseudo relationships and move to true, real, authentic Christian community. 
And so if you're interested in being a part of that uh, experience and you want to be a leader and you want to host a group, you can go to ccvlive.com forward slash groups and you can find out how you can sign up there. But we want you to be praying for this, not just for the reopening, but for connection. What we want is connection. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our minds and hearts. We thank you for the people who are joined this morning all across the country and around the world. And we thank you for those few who are here right now. We know, God, that you are going to begin to do some special, powerful, moving things in the hearts and minds of people as we begin to open up our hearts to people who can shape it and help it become more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.